Welcome to the last part of our look at the Mongol Empire. Uh, and uh, for this last part, we're going to be looking at what it was like to live within the borders of this Mongol Empire. So um, this is the first, um, well, not, I shouldn't say the first, because we have the, the first shifts to a, a major global economy when we look at uh, the Silk Road and the Indian Ocean being established and the, the gold and salt trade. But this is the first uh, time where you really see that happening uh, across the board um, in an empire because it's spanning over so many different regions of, of Asia there. And so uh, they promote trade heavily. Uh, they didn't do the selling or anything like that. They just supported the merchants and gave them tax breaks for going and doing all this trading, which really increased the, the trade traffic, which was diminishing under uh, under, uh, before the Mongols did it because of the instability and the, the weak empires that were going on with the Abbasids and the, and the Song. And so uh, they revitalized trade. We see this is like the last really time that the Silk Road gets really, really popular. After this, it's pretty much all Indian Ocean trade until uh, we really get to the modern day, which hasn't even revitalized what the Silk Road was, but China's starting to try to do some of that stuff. We see them building railroads, uh, going west, uh, and reaching... Um, some of the Central uh, Asian uh, countries today. Um, the Mongols, though, protect the uh, trade routes. Uh, Genghis Khan uh, argued that uh, you could send a virgin across the Silk Road and she wouldn't be touched. Um, and uh, China became kind of the major point of where everything was coming from. It was the center of attention, getting all the silk out of there and other goods that everyone really wanted and getting them across the Silk Road. Um, so that was trade. Uh, diplomacy, uh, what we see going on here with, with government is um, that the, um, the Mongols tried to get into Europe, uh, but they got overextended. They decided to, to end uh, their conquest there, although they were really threatening uh, Europe. Uh, but also you just don't have the, the great land to really be... Um, you don't have a great land to be able to go and, and conquer with that. You need really open space that you can graze on, and there isn't a ton of that once you're getting into uh, Europe. As well as uh, the, you got the Pope trying to work with, with the Mongols, trying to get them to convert to Christianity, which they don't, and uh, at least just kind of negotiating on behalf of all Europe because uh, Western Europe, I should say Western Europe with that case too, because Western Europe is the only thing that's really uniting them is the church again. Um Whereas uh, you see that kind of being against it and, and the Europeans really um, um, resisting that. And the Europeans are the really ones that are really the only ones that aren't heavily conquered. And so uh, you're going to see them have an advantage when we get to the 1400s and 1500s when we see them start to expand because they aren't recovering from what just happened. Um, Whereas, uh, so then on the flip side of that, you get China, Mongolia, Persia all being fairly well linked together because they're all part of that empire. And you see Persians being taken all the way over to China and Chinese being taken all the way over to Persia and mixed within the empire to help it run better. Um, culturally, we see the spreading of those skilled workers then. Um, and you see artistic styles of Persia making their way to China and Chinese making their way across, across the empire. Uh, we see things like medicine, um, like acupuncture and stuff like that going from China uh, out to the rest of the world. Um, you see crops spreading. So we get lemons going around. We get carrots. All these things, just like we saw with the Silk Road. Uh, and this is all part of that trade route that we saw back in Chapter uh, 7 or 6. 7. 
seven. Um, so we see all those continuing to spread. When you have open trade routes and stuff like that, you can see a lot more things spread than whenever things kind of divided or not working out too well. Um, and with all this, again, because Europe is on the outside of this, uh, they're still getting every product that's coming through, uh, but they're getting it without the uh, destruction that occurred uh, to the rest of um, to the rest of the world. Now, there is a drawback to what happens with all this trade, and that is the Black Death, uh, or the bubonic plague, uh, which is known as, uh, the, we believe it was the bacteria Yersinia pestis, which is still around today. Uh, if you saw in the news recently, this is in 20, uh, the fall of 2017 going into the winter, um, Madagascar uh, has had an outbreak of the plague. Um, but they've, uh, as of right now, they've uh, kind of fixed that problem. So, and that's kind of winter 2017. So, um, so over a few months, and it, it recurs every year around the same time. It's it's actually kind of interesting to look at. Um, not that people are being suffered suffering through that, but that it's still it's it's causing problems in some in a, in a small island on the world. Um, but this uh, bubonic plague came from East Asia, really kind of in the Mongolia Gobi Desert area, and it begins in China and it goes across the Silk Road. So in 1331, it's in China. By 1347, it's in the Middle East and Europe. And in 1409, it's hitting East Africa. It just hits everywhere that the trade's happening because uh, it's carried by rats and fleas. And those fleas will take the blood of the rats and then go bite you. And then you have your Yersinia pestis in you. And you will die within a few days, especially depending on what version you have. Uh, some, it'll be a 24-hour thing and you're dead. Others, it'll be about a week and you're dead. Um, death rate, depending on the type you get, is anywhere between 50% and 90%. So a huge mortality rate. Um, and uh, it just causes a huge amount of damage. By um, Between 1348 and 13, or 1450, about half of the European population... Uh, about 50% decline in the rate of population. Uh, we lose about a third of the people in the Middle East. Um, and so you just have a huge drop in population. Now, some areas that hit, aren't hit as hard as this is, are like uh, India, um, <coughs> partially because of the, uh, I would presume, the lack of um, really development in the area it, it's developed it's it's got a lot of trade going on but you don't have a lot of the connections and roads and other things like that or maybe the environment i, I don't fully know why india wasn't hit as hard uh but uh we see europe and the middle east and china getting a huge brunt of the 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 of everything and so with half your population dying in some places you have whole cities being erased uh, or 90 percent of the city people are looking at this and going it's the end of the world it's the end times especially in europe where they believe Jesus is going to come back at some point. Um, and so they're saying, this is the end times and we're at, we're, we're all going to die. And so uh, this really changes Europe in comparison to the rest of the world and that uh, you have labor shortages because of how many die. And so that leads to higher wages. Um, you have peasant revolts that say we need to get rid of serfdom and we'll see that eventually end uh, in not right away. It takes a while. Um, but they try to fight for the end of, um, um, they try to fight for an, uh, the end of it. Uh, we see women getting a, a few more rights because, well, they're going to have to work now because there's a lack of labor. So they're able to work. Um, <coughs> and, um, 
with that though, because of the lack of labor and everything else, and because everyone's afraid of the 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 things uh, happening and where the viruses are coming from or the disease is coming from, they uh, close down trade, and so you see trade pretty much halt, um, and uh, Europe will be kind of come insulated, and um, we'll see the the Renaissance come out of this. Um, after they've kind of absorbed some of the things from the Crusades and from the Middle East uh, and the fall of the Byzantine Empire, we see the the um, the Renaissance out of this. But uh, that's going to be a little while. That's a little while away. And um, this will also make them, though, um, not only will it kind of revitalize or lead to a rebirth in the economy and, and culture of Europe, uh, it will also push them. It'd be one of the factors that pushes them to look west instead of going east. Uh, they want to go find a new way to get there. Hopefully that might not be as disease-ridden uh, or a way that they can kind of avoid that. And um, that's one of the factors. There's really a much bigger factor that we'll get to when we talk about the fall of the Byzantine Empire, but uh, that's one thing that goes into it, okay? And that's the, the Mongol Empire in a nutshell and their effects across all of Eurasia.